Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you, and thank you so much for being here. And those of you that are watching us online, once again, thanks for joining in. Especially if you're a guest this morning, uh, we'd love to meet you right after the service. John and I will be right through these doors, which is where the free coffee and cookies are. And so we'd like to just say thanks for joining us today. Uh, my name's Tim. I get to be uh, one of the pastors here along with John and Pastor Craig. And uh, today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Blank Must Fall. And we're going to be looking at this concept for the next three weeks. And I'm just going to warn you right up front, this is one of those sermon series where we're going to ask you to do a deep dive into your heart and into your life. Doesn't that sound exciting, right? <laughs> this is usually the sermon series where people go, oh, come on, really? Like, I have those things tucked away for a reason, and I don't really want to have to deal with those things. And, you know, I've been, you know, I've, I've been professionally packing those things away for years and years and years, and now all of a sudden you're going to ask me to go get those and to unpack those and to maybe, just maybe, turn them over to God and see what God can do in them. And so this morning, I thought we would just dive right in. I think our church can handle this. I don't even need to give you a warm-up on this. Uh, but as you look at this expression, right, blank must fall, what word would you put in this line in your life? Does anyone want to be bold enough to go first this morning? <laughs> go ahead, 8.30, I was shocked. We got like eight people that helped. Anger, Anger. very good, thanks. Who else? Anxiety. Anxiety. Fear, very good. Self. Insecurity, judgment. Wow. It's almost like I staged you guys. Anybody else? You're going to find out in a minute why. Is that, what? Pride. Funny thing is, I didn't know if people were actually going to answer or not, so I thought maybe I'd help the church out. And you said all of the words that, uh, that I had actually written out this week. And uh, to be honest with you, as I was preparing for this message, uh, all of these words, these are all of the things that I have struggled with and continue to struggle with to this day. See, I have pride, which pride is just a mask for my insecurity, which then leads to my anxiety. And then when I'm anxious, I get depressed. And when I'm depressed, I try to control the situation. And when I can't control the situation, I give up. So I become lazy, right? Then I become apathetic. And then when I'm done, uh, you know, trying to fix myself, uh, I, instead of, instead of uh, working on myself, I turn to other people, which is when we become judgmental, right? Then all of a sudden, racism sneaks in out of nowhere. And then we start to gossip and slander and get angry and bitter and have unforgiveness toward other people. So we just put our hands in the air and say, you know what, screw it, it's all about me. And you become greedy. <laughs> And I'm just going to keep everything to myself, my time, my talents, and my treasures. Amen? Right? Anybody else out there with me this morning? I showed this list to my wife and I said, uh, I said what, what am I missing? And um, she said, do you really want to give them more terms for you this morning? So, how many words do you want to put up there, right? I mean, let's just be honest. We know we all struggle with these things. They're all, all these issues that we have in our lives, and we know the, the root of all of this is sin. But as the preaching team was preparing for this series, and, and the reason that we picked this week to address this topic is because really the foundation of all of this is fear. It's because we fear things that lead us into these realms in our hearts and into our lives. And so let me ask you this this morning as well. Well, what do you do when these situations arise? How do you handle fear? 
Do you beat yourself up? Do you go on those downward spirals? Do you go into depression? Or do you go on the offense and you attack others? Because by attacking others, it prevents you from having to face your own issues and your own circumstances. And then this morning, what we're also going to look at is this. Well, what does God do with our fear? And do we willingly turn over our fear to him and see what he can do in our hearts and our lives. And so today we're going to look at a passage of scripture, and some of you that may be familiar to you, some of you, it's maybe the first time that you've heard this, and we're going to see how this plays out in our passage today. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14. There's chair Bibles right in front of you. If you're in the front row, they're underneath you, page 820. And as you're grabbing a chair Bible, if you don't have a Bible, uh, on behalf of our church, we want you to take one of those Bibles home with you today. We believe this is the greatest gift that we can give you. So let's turn to page 820. This is an account of Jesus with his disciples. In fact, this is the very spot that we left off last week with our guest speaker, Tyler Cronkite, as he talked to us about Jesus feeding the 5,000, which is Jesus really actually feeding the 25,000. The 5,000 was just the men that they counted. And so here we have Jesus doing this incredible miracle he takes five loaves and two fish, and he's able to feed over 25,000 people, which is five loaves and two fish. And literally, this is where the story picks up. In verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in what? Fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And those of you that know this story, you may think that you know where I'm going this morning. You might say, okay, here it is. You want us to be like Peter, right? The, the, the leader of the pack and the guy who is always willing to get out of the boat and in faith, you know, do the impossible. And so he got to do this incredible thing by walking on water. And in fact, that's the exact opposite of what I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm actually going to tell you to get into the boat. I'm not going to tell you to get out of the boat. And you're going to watch as we walk through the passages how this plays out this morning. I want you to go back to that first verse, verse 22. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Who put the disciples in the boat? So the disciples didn't put themselves in the boat, did they? Jesus, I want you to think about this, put the disciples in the boat. They didn't volunteer to go in the boat. They didn't say, Jesus, I think we should get in the boat and go on the other side. He puts them in the boat and he tells them to do something very simple. Row to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which isn't that big of a sea, okay? It's not that difficult for these guys. They would have done it dozens and dozens and dozens of times before. They would have done this in their childhood. This is something that they grew up doing. Most of them were fishermen. So this wasn't really anything extraordinary he was asking them to do. 
And he says, and go before him to the other side while he dismisses the crowd. Which I've never, you know, I've always wondered what this image looks like, right? He needed the disciples to help him feed, you know, over 25,000 people. When it comes to dismissing the crowd, he did it on his own. So he puts them in a boat and he sends them out. And then what does that look like? Does he just turn around and say, thank you everyone for coming today. Hope you enjoyed your fish sandwich. Have a good night. God bless you. And literally thousands and thousands of people leave. And then what does he do? After he dismisses them, he goes up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Jesus being perfect in every way, right? The, the perfect extrovert, being able to read around thousands of people and to meet all of their needs and to know all their names. And everybody that was sick that was brought to him, he would put his hands on them and he would heal them. But Jesus being perfect, also the perfect introvert, knowing how to get away, knowing how to recharge and refuel by being alone with God the Father. And sometimes we forget, you know, that, that, that having to shepherd these disciples and raise these disciples up, sometimes it's tough. Did you know that? These guys were like teenagers. And they asked a lot of questions and they did a lot of things that not, didn't necessarily go according to plan. And I'm just going to say, I think maybe sometimes he just wanted to get away from them, right? He just wanted a little bit of a break. Those of you that are raising teenagers, right? When you put them to bed and you get a little time on the couch by yourself, you're raising, you know what I'm talking about? So here's Jesus. He's by himself. And he's up on the mountain, he's taking a break, and he's there alone. He's recharging. And yet, the disciples are a long way from the land. Why? Because they've been rowing. And they're doing what they were told to do. Simple task, go from point A to point B, and here they are. They're a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Wouldn't you know a storm was upon them? It's interesting, if you read Mark's account, it'll tell you they're in the middle of the sea. If you read John's account, it'll say that, he's, that they're three to three and a half miles away. And here they are, they're rowing, and they're just trying to do this simple task, and this storm comes in and is beating and rocking their very boat. And the trouble comes into their lives. And I asked myself this, why, if Jesus is God and Jesus is all-knowing, why would he send them out into a storm if he knew the storm was coming? I mean, he's the one that put him in the boat. He knew the storm was coming, and he not only puts him in the boat, he goes up on a mountain by himself to pray. Why would a loving God do that? And then it makes you ask, ask yourself the question, so if God's willing to do that with his disciples, those that are closest to them, those who he's trying to raise up and infuse his leadership uh, principles into, how often does he do that in our lives? How often does God put us in a boat and send us out on the lake? And we think, oh, this is great. We're going to be on this journey and everything is going to be great. You know, when God puts us in a boat, like how about when he puts us in a boat and we get married and we go, oh, we're, we're, marriage is going to be great. And we get out on that sea and then what happens? The storm comes. Or, oh, we're going to have kids. Everyone loves having kids, right? Let's have kids. It's great. This is awesome. And then you get out into the middle of the lake and what happens? The kids start having issues. And then your marriage start having issues, right? All of these circumstances begin to come into our lives. And the storms around us begin to crash in. I would submit to you this morning, whether you like it or not, we're all kind of in a boat in a way because we live in this world. This world is screwed up and messed up. And if you watch the news last night, right, we get to see yet another shooting, yet another senseless shooting in our country in Texas. If somebody walks into a Walmart 
and shoots innocent people. I mean, we live in a world that's constantly in turmoil. And because we're followers of Jesus, because we're trying to live our lives in view of what God has called us to do, we are constantly in a storm. We are constantly in a battle. In fact, I would submit to you today that you're either headed toward a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're on your way out of a storm. And if you're on your way out of a storm, don't get too comfortable because you're probably just headed into the next storm of life. That's what happens in life. But so often it's in that circumstance, in that storm, that fear begins to grip our hearts and our lives. Fear begins to grip our hearts and our lives because we wonder, God, where are you at? Are you just too far away? Are you up in heaven and so you got other things? You have bigger fish to fry. You have bigger circumstances to tackle. And so, God, you don't have time for little old me and my little old problem here down here on earth. Or, God, I've cried out to you. I've prayed to you. I've asked you to answer this prayer, and yet it's been weeks. It's been months. It's been years, and you're still not answering my prayer. You're still not revealing yourself to me. God, where are you? Why aren't you intervening in my storm, in my life, in my life? And maybe you feel like this, like the disciples did. That in verse 25, it says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Does anybody know what the fourth watch is? Does anybody know this? It's 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. I want you to think of how long these guys have been rowing out there, right? All night long. They're fatigued. They're tired, their arms are worn out, their legs are worn out, they just wanna go to sleep, they probably wanted something to eat, and they're still trying to fight this storm. Let me ask you this, knowing what they had just saw, knowing the feeding of the 25,000, when did they cry out to God for help? When did they ask God to intervene? Was it in the first watch? Was it in the second watch? Was it in the third or the fourth watch? Interesting, you can read all three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and John, and not any of the accounts mention the disciples ever crying out to God for help. Isn't that interesting? They were still trying to go through the storm on their own. They were still trying to battle this insane thing all by themselves. And how often do we do that in our lives? Right? We have a circumstance in front of us. We know it's not going well. It's, it's caused fear and anxiety and stress into our hearts and our lives. And because we're dealing with the fear and anxiety and stress, now all of a sudden it's affecting everybody else around us. But we'll do everything we can to fight through it instead of just asking God and inviting God into the situation and inviting him to join us in the circumstance. You know, many of you know, um, one of the things that's so amazing about Jesus is his ability to push people out of their comfort zones. And that's exactly what he did over and over again with the disciples. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he put them in that boat. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he made them face that storm. He was raising them up. He was testing their faith and he was in, and honestly, he was doing the most loving thing that he could because he knew he was gonna have to die on the cross and he knew he was going to rise from the dead. And he knew these were the guys that he was going to leave to establish his church on earth. And so he needed to develop some things within them. It's the same reason that when they came to him and people were hungry and they didn't know where they could get the food, he said to the disciples, well, you figure it out. You figure out how we're going to feed the crowd. He does this over and over and over again in scripture. And I want you to think about how we do this as parents and as grandparents with our kids, Right? One of, the, one of the most fun things you can do as a parent is teach your kid how to ride a bicycle without the training wheels. Do you all remember when that moment happened, right? 
Isn't that cool when you finally convince the kid to take the training wheels off the bicycle? And you get them all lined up and there's that fear in their eyes and they're not sure if they actually can trust you as the parent, right? And you say, I'm not going to let you go, which is a lie. I'm going to be right here. I'm going to be right here. I'm going to run alongside you. And what do we do? We run alongside them. And what do we do? We, we let go. And then they ride their bike a little bit down the road. Then they crash, <laughs> right? Boo-boos everywhere, 42 Band-Aids lighter. What do you do as a loving parent and grandparent? You put that kid right back on that bike and you send them right back down that sidewalk. Amen, right? I'm not, I'm not the only crazy one in here, right? Why do we do that? Because we love them. Many of you know that, uh, that, that Lisa and I, one of our things that we do for vacations is camping. We love to camp. Some of you, you never, ever, ever want to see it inside of a tent or a camper, right? That's not your gig. Yes, John especially. Yes. He, <laughs> who was that? Someone was helping you. Oh, it was her. It's on video. Um, but it's not just because we like going and camping and disconnecting from televisions and iPads. Part of it is helping our boys to grow up. Part of it is pouring into them. And this wasn't a parent strategy that we came up with. This was from talking with other people here at Shepherd's Gate and learning about how they develop their kids. And so we take them camping because we feel like we have this 10-year window where we can teach them to not fear things like bugs <laughs> and to not fear things like dirt. And believe it or not, to not fear things like public restrooms and public showers because we want to be able to take our kids on mission trips one day. We want to be able to help them. And so what we're doing strategically is addressing their fears now and trying to overcome those fears now, hoping that in later on in life it'll be that much easier. All the years I did youth ministry, right, all the years I took kids on retreats and mission trips, I always knew the kids that were campers or in Boy Scouts or Ver Girl Scouts versus the kids that had never, ever, ever seen a cot or a sleeping bag, right? It was just obvious. And so that's part of our strategy. See, all of us, we do this with our kids. We do this with our grandkids. And believe it or not, God does it with us. He sends us into the storm. He allows the waves to crash all around us. Believe it or not, your God and my God allows us to get fatigued. He allows us to lose sleep. He allows us to have to try to like wrestle with these things and to try to figure out, okay, God, what's going on? And every time he does that, it's because he wants us to cling to him because he wants us to cry out to him. And even though the disciples didn't do that in our account this morning, for whatever reason, I don't know why they didn't do that, yet he didn't leave them there. It says he came to them walking on the sea, an insane miracle defies nature, right? Here he is, Jesus, walking on water. And if you're exploring Christianity, maybe you're new to Shepherd's Gate, you would say, oh, see, here it is. You just got to it. This is why I don't believe. This is impossible. This seems crazy to me. And I can tell you, if that's you this morning, that those of us that have been in church for 40 years or 80 years, we look at the same verse and we see the same account and we go, man, that seems crazy. It seems so hard to believe. We doubt, God, did you really do this? Did you really walk on water and walk on the sea? But yet he comes to them. He comes to them. And it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were what? And said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in. Now I want you to think about this. They're already tired. 
They're already not sure if they're going to make it. They're not, they're not sure if they're going to die. They're already dealing with fear. And God just took their anxiety and he said, I'm just going to increase it just a little bit more. <laughs> He's praying on a mountain, folks. He could have in a moment just showed up in the boat and said, guys, guys, I'm so proud of you. You got from point A to the middle of where I told you to be. Here, everyone gets a participation ribbon, right? <laughs> no, it's not what he does. He's walking on the water and he doesn't calm the storm. The waves and the wind are still crashing, so much so that he knew that they, that, that they would think that he's a ghost. He just antes up the anxiety levels in their lives and they're crying out in fear. If you read Mark's account, Mark makes it seem as if Jesus is just going to walk right by him, which is even more hardcore, right? He's just going to pass right by him and just, apparently Jesus was out for a walk at 3 a.m., right? <laughs> but look at what it says. He sees them in their distress and immediately he speaks to them and he says these words, take heart, your heart, right? It is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I. And he begins to dispel their fear. Even though the waves are still crashing, even though the wind is still beating the tar out of that boat, he gives them words of comfort and encouragement and peace. Do you know that's not the only place that Jesus says, take heart in the scriptures? In fact, on another occasion, Jesus with his disciples, he actually said these words. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Man, who doesn't want peace? In this world, you will have trouble. Guess what? It's a reality of where we live. But take heart. Again, take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's his promise for the disciples, and that's his promise for you and me that we can cling to, that we can hold on to, that when we get frustrated and we get tired and we get in those moments that we can say these words, we can quote these scriptures, and we can take them to the bank because our God said them to us to encourage us to be there for us because ultimately we live in this constant tension between faith and fear. All of us, all day long, God, we want to trust you, but we're not really sure you're going to provide. God, we want to do it this way, but God, we're not sure if you're really going to come through. God, we really are trying so hard. Help us to believe that you are working on our behalf. Again, Jesus pushed them toward their fears and then he met them, think about this, in the center of their fears. He pushed them straight toward it, and then he met them in the center of it, just as he does for you and for me. And so if you're in a storm, you're in a situation in life, realize God has not left you. And even though you may feel that God is far off, man, he is not far off at all. He is right there, and he is moving toward you. In fact, Peter said this, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter gets out of the boat, he walks in the water, and he came to Jesus. Right, Peter, always the leader of the pack, always the one willing to do the impossible. Why did Peter get out of the boat? No one asked him to get out of the boat. Jesus didn't say this is a good idea for you to get out of the boat, right? This is all Peter's idea, and he's simply responding to Peter. But it says when he saw the wind, again, here he is, another fear, he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. Which you can imagine how loud that must have been. And Jesus, of course, immediately reaches out his hand. He takes hold of him and he says to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? 
He doesn't say, Peter, man, great job. Out of all the guys, you're the one that had the boldness to get out of the boat. Right? Because he's creating leaders in them. He's inspiring them. He, he's building them up. It's not that they lost their faith. He was just trying to get them to realize, man, that by taking your eyes off of him, that's when that doubt seeps in, that he will provide for each and every one of their needs. This is just another example of Jesus building character and faith in the life of the disciples. See, doubt leads to fear when God doesn't do what we think he should do and when we think he should do it. One of the hardest things of the Christian walk in life is being patient, isn't it? It's being patient and waiting for God to unfold his plan and his purpose for our lives. And every time we get ahead of God, man, that's when we just gotta cry out like Peter. That's when we start sinking and say, God, we need you to reach down and to rescue us. And isn't it interesting that even as Peter's walking on the water, did you, you might have noticed this, the storm's still going on. The waves are still crashing. The wind is still at an all-time high. But yet when they got into the boat, it wasn't until both of them, Jesus and Peter, actually got into the boat that Jesus said, okay, lesson's over. You guys have had enough. And then those in the boat worshiped him, right? Man, you saved us. You saved us and you defied nature and you showed us this incredible miracle. Man, God, you were so amazing. Even though we just got a miracle yesterday, God, you gave us another miracle today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. So let me ask you again this morning, what do you do when fear sprouts up into your life? When the circumstances around you start crashing in, how do you respond? You guys know that we're going to be leading toward Step Out and Serve in just a few weeks. And I honestly think Step Out and Serve is one of those opportunities where we as individuals and we as a church have an opportunity to actually address many of the fears that we have in our lives. One of our members I called this week because Ron, our Step Out coordinator, told me the story last year about a gentleman that he had asked to go down to a site in Detroit and so he had called this gentleman, and the guy doesn't really go down to Detroit with him and his, him and his wife don't really go down there. They don't, they're not really feel called to that. And, you know, um, when he found out where it was in Detroit, his anxiety went up a little bit more because he's like, wow, even that area is a little bit more unsafe than the rest of Detroit. And yet it was Ron, through his encouragement, that said, come on, Brian, get in the boat with me. Get in the boat. Let's just see where God takes us, right? We can trust God. He's going to lead and guide us. And when I called Brian this week, I said, I don't have to use your name. I can just tell your story. He said, no, go ahead and use my name and I'll even show you a picture. This is Brian on the right. He goes to 8.30 service. He and his wife are very faithful to worship. And I said, Brian, tell me about this. He said, what, he said I had so much anxiety going to this site. Like this was a huge fear for me to overcome. But he said, when I got there and I met Pastor Matt, and I met the team of people that he works with, and then I saw all of the kids that they're reaching based on the limited resources that they have. He said, something broke in me. Something literally on a spiritual level broke in my heart and in my life. And all of a sudden, the storms that I thought that I was facing, the things that I thought were so difficult, all of a sudden became trivial. And I realized that God could use me. And God used this moment not for him only to use his abilities to be able to, to build what he built because, he, because he's good at that stuff as a carpenter, but also that God did something in his heart and in his life, which is what today's all about. What is it that God wants to do in our hearts, in our lives? And I get it. Some of you, you have young kids, right? 
You got little kids, but guess what? We have places that you can take them. And I was looking back this week because we've been doing Step Out and Serve for a long time here at Shepherd's Gate. In fact, the first year that we did it, Lisa and I were newlyweds. We went to a house and we got to renovate a house with some friends of ours from Shepherd's Gate. The second year that we went, Lisa was six months pregnant with Henry. So I painted and she passed out bottles of water. Wasn't that cool? Third year we had Henry. And so we went to a nursing home because we got to go eat ice cream with people. It was awesome. What a great sight. Sign up for that one if you got, car- if you got, little, if you got little kids. Everybody can do something. And it's so crazy how fast life goes by, right? And what we instill in our kids and our grandkids now, like my kids don't even know that there isn't step out and serve. They just assume that every year during this time, they're doing step out and serve. It's just a standard in our house. In fact, last year, Scott and Beth Ann Cote said, hey, do you want to come down to a site in Detroit with us? JJ's house, it's in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by, you know, boarded up homes and, you know, weeds and all sorts of craziness down there. And yet there's this couple that God has called to minister to young, single, pregnant moms, and the moms live in their basement. I said, man, that'd be awesome to expose our kids to that. So we took our kids down there, and I want you to know our kids, Henry and Brady, they had a terrible time. (laughs) It was awful. Here's Brady, just so you know, okay? You can see. (laughs) And you might be like, well, that's awesome. You took him down, he got to be in a bounce house, have a water balloon fight. That's his fifth ice cream, by the way, right? And we did that so that the, those fears are addressed now in his life and he doesn't have to deal with it later on in his life. Again, trying to do everything we can to set them up. So again this morning, for you, what is it for you personally? And what is it for your family? What boat do you need to get into and who do you need to invite in that boat with you and say, come on, let's go on this adventure. Let's see what God can do in and through us. So here's, here's the challenges this morning. Where does fear need to be confronted? Where does complacency need to be addressed? You can be part of the crowd. You can be part of the 25,000, right? Come to church. We're going to receive communion this morning. You're going to get communion. You're going to be fed. We read through God's word. You can go back and go to your comfortable home, go to sleep, wake up the next day. But man, if you want to see God at work, you want to see him stretch you in ways that you never thought possible, get in the boat. Get in the boat. See where he takes you. How about this one? Where does racism need to be destroyed? What are things that have come out of your mouth that are just a result of the things that are in your heart? And maybe you need to put yourself in a situation to address that. Or maybe it's greed. Maybe you need to get into a, into a situation where you begin to surrender. Maybe it's not just even your time. Maybe it's your treasure. That God would break that in your heart and watch him do a work in you and through you. And again, he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Again, these are all the things that I'll be confessing again this morning as we prepare our hearts to receive Holy Communion. This is my list this morning, but here's our challenge. Let's trust Jesus when he says, take heart, I got this. Take heart, I got this. And I want to I cultivate something in your heart. And God wants to cultivate something in my heart today. Amen. And then we're going to prepare our hearts to receive Holy Communion this morning. If you're a guest, our communion guidelines are going to be on the screen for you. But this is an opportunity for us to get real before God, to confess our sins to him. And so we do that by bowing our heads, by closing our eyes, by getting real with our creator. So can we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning?
Heavenly Father, I know that your Holy Spirit is at work in this place. God, that you're challenging hearts and lives this morning. So God, help us to get God honest with you. There's nothing to hide from you. You know it all anyways. So God, this morning we confess our sins to you. We confess our fears to you. And we do this in this time and in this place. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have heard our confessions. And because of who Jesus Christ is and because of what he has done on the cross for us, you forgive us of all of our sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.